for listening to our 2021 season of the Miso TV podcast. Miso TV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast, produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, or Meso Foundation for short, is an organization that provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This 2021 season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellican Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, Novacure, Merck, the Gorey Law Firm, and Early Lucarelli, Sweeney, and Mysicotin. Visit CureMiso.org to learn more about the Miso Foundation and about Miso TV. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Daniel Sturman of NYU Langone to discuss pneumonitis in immunotherapy-treated mesothelioma patients. Good afternoon, Dr. Sturman. Thank you for joining us for uh, this latest episode of uh, Miso TV. Uh, today's episode is going to focus on pneumonitis. Uh, and I know as a pulmonologist, this is an area that you treat and, uh, you know, have uh, really a good handle on how to explain uh, just all about uh, pneumonitis to this patient community. So thank you and uh, welcome to uh, Miso TV, Dr. Sturman. My pleasure, Mary. Always a, always a pleasure, honor, and privilege to talk with you. Thank you. So, Dr. Sturman, what is pneumonitis? Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what it is and what it looks like on an x-ray? Sure. So pneumonitis uh, is a medical term that refers to inflammation of the lung, and it's often differentiated from pneumonia, which is an, another form of inflammation of the lung, but one that's associated with a type of infection. So pneumonitis is inflammation without infection of the lung, uh, and on an x-ray, often looks like an area of cloudiness. The lung on an x-ray should be uh, almost transparent, so it should look black. So an area of cloudiness in an otherwise black background uh, can be concerning uh, for pneumonitis. Often hard to distinguish uh, just on an x-ray alone or even on a CAT scan from pneumonia. So um, one needs to get a very good clinical history from the patient and from the family, as well as looking at imaging to be able to make the diagnosis. And um, is there ever a problem distinguishing uh, progression of disease versus pneumonitis, or do they really, you know, are they really clearly defined by a CT scan when you look at them? Well, in mesothelioma, I think that you're mm -hmm. dealing, obviously, in most cases, with a plural malignancy. Uh, with nodules uh, along the pleural surface, uh, fluid in the pleural space, um, and occasionally lymph nodes in the center portion of the chest, the mediastinum, and in the hilar regions. Um, less so, but can be uh, an involvement of the lung parenchyma. There are very rare types of mesothelioma that will invade directly into the lung through the what's called the visceral pleura, the lining of the lung itself, and can look cloudy on an x-ray. It is not a very common presentation of mesothelioma. Uh, and so if there's any good news about pneumonitis and mesothelioma, for the most part, it is easily distinguished between disease progression and the presence of pneumonitis. 
more difficult would be distinguishing between pneumonia and infection and pneumonitis inflammation without infection in mesothelioma. Thank you. So um, in patients now that have had radiation therapy, uh, is that, uh, can that be a sequela to, um, uh, you know, to pneumonitis? I mean, right. is pneumonitis so, a sequela to... So there uh, are many reasons why someone can get pneumonitis. Um, radiation therapy, which can be of significant benefit in mesothelioma, particularly in consolidating benefits of other therapies, including surgery or treating areas of pain, for example, in the chest wall, um, is well established, uh, not just in mesothelioma, but, but in treatment of other tumors to cause inflammation of the lung. Uh, and what's interesting about radiation pneumonitis and gives us a clue into why pneumonitis happens and how we should be treating it is that radiation pneumonitis is not necessarily limited to the area where the radiation is administered. So you can, uh, it's much more common in that region, but you can have inflammation distant to the area, even in the opposite lung uh, from radiation. And that gives a really interesting clue about what's actually happening in pneumonitis and how we should be treated. So what are the presenting symptoms of a patient who develops uh, pneumonitis following radiation therapy? So uh, commonly would be uh, a cough, a dry cough. It would be very uncommon to have uh, sputum production, mucus production. Uh, and if the mucus is being produced, it's usually clear uh, rather than mm -hmm. yellow, green, or bloody. Um, and shortness of breath. So it can be very subtle. The onset can be fairly insidious. Um, mm -hmm. It typically doesn't occur while the uh, radiation is ongoing. It occurs typically after completion of the radiation therapy. So if someone develops a new cough um, or shortness of breath days into starting radiation, it would be really unusual for that to be directly related to the radiation. So the time course of radiation-related pneumonitis would be within uh, a few weeks after completion of the radiation therapy. That's, mm -hmm. that's the most common time period. And again, uh, the development of a persistent, often refractory dry cough and progressive shortness of breath, uh, potentially associated with lower oxygen levels, both at rest, but especially with exertion. So if patients have pulse oximeters, which many patients have during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, they may notice that their oxygen levels drop um, uh, and that can be a sign that the pneumonitis is there even if their oxygen levels are, mm -hmm. are adequate during just sitting around. So now who treats the radiation-based pneumonitis? Would that be the radiation oncologist or would that be a pulmonologist? I think many people treat radiation pneumonitis. Uh, I think that a good multidisciplinary program would have a system where uh, a radiation oncologist who's treating a patient could discuss with a pulmonologist involved with the program or even the medical oncologist, if the medical oncologist is involved, and sometimes the thoracic surgeon, if the patient's being treated with radiation in the post-operative or perioperative period. So it should really be a group decision because there are a lot of implications to treatment of, of pneumonitis, most notably the, the immunosuppression uh, from giving the high-dose steroids for the long periods of time that, is need, that are often needed for treatment. So there are lots of implications and potential side effects of the treatment itself. And so it's best done in a, I think, a multidisciplinary fashion. 
um, so that everyone is on board with, with the treatment, the course of therapy, and the potential side effects that the patient might be experiencing. Thank you. So um, you mentioned that they're treated with high-dose steroids. So um, typically, how are patients treated and how long um, is the, you know, is the uh, time frame? Yeah, I would say some of the biggest mistakes that physicians make in treating uh, pneumonitis of any cause, whether it be radiation-induced or drug-induced, is to underdose the steroids and or to rapidly taper them off too quickly. Um, because what will happen in that case is either the patients won't get better or they will get better and then they'll have recurrence of the pneumonitis. Uh, and so there is an inclination because steroids, corticosteroids specifically, have adverse effects that you want to administer to the patient and get the patient off them as quickly as possible. But you have to temper that inclination as a physician by the fact that if you get the patient off prednisone, which is the commonly used oral corticosteroid, too quickly, we see it rebound. Um, mm -hmm. And so often we will start with doses of around a milligram per kilogram of ideal body weight, which is somewhere around 60 milligrams of prednisone for, for most patients, uh, sometimes as high as 80 milligrams, but for radiation pneumonitis, really no higher than 60 milligrams on a daily basis. Sometimes we'll divide up the dose in the course of the day. So we'll give 30 milligrams twice a day rather than 60 milligrams once a day. Um, that is particularly if they have a lot of steroid related side effects. Um, but the other concern with giving steroids in the evening is that they can cause insomnia. So there is a rationale for giving a single dose in the morning so that patients can actually get a decent night's sleep and they're not up all night staring at their ceiling. Now, is uh, radiation, is this uh, pneumonitis, is this curable? Well, I think it's important to understand that there are two aspects of radiation lung injury. One is pneumonitis and the other is fibrosis. And so uh, radiation pneumonitis is, as we said, an infl inflammation of the lung. The inflammatory component uh, of radiation lung injury is reversible and curable uh, with appropriate corticosteroid therapy with, with, with prednisone and other corticosteroids. But often there is an associated permanent scarring of the lung that can coexist with radiation pneumonitis, even with early recognition and early treatment and appropriate doses and treatment course. And so uh, it's important to recognize that there may be residual effects uh, on the lung that you would see on an x-ray and a CAT scan and clinical decline in pulmonary status. And that does not mean that the steroids were ineffective for the pneumonitis. It just means that underlying the pneumonitis was some, already, some fixed scarring that had already set in that's unfortunately not reversible. Mm -hmm. So similar to what we see in, in some patients who've had surgery that they develop scar tissue and the scar tissue you know, can continue to grow even, you know, uh, you know, months after the surgery. That's right. And um, it's important for the clinicians as part of the multidisciplinary mm -hmm. group to recognize what is pneumonitis and what is fibrosis, because you would not want to be treating fibrosis with steroids. The steroids are not mm -hmm. going to help. If anything, they can lower resistance to infection. Patients with radiation fibrosis are prone to developing 
uh, bronchitis, they're prone to developing pneumonia. Uh, and so if the steroids are not benefiting the patient, they could be causing harm. So it's really important to be following patients closely. Again, we don't wanna be doing too many CT scans, but I will use chest X-rays to see if those hazy areas, the so-called ground glass component are better and whether there's an area of fixed scarring that is left over and then not try to over-treat that area of fixed scarring because I, then I'm getting the negative effects of the prednisone rather than any beneficial ben uh, effects that they may have. Thank you. So um, another question I have then, you know, I, I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier is that we have uh, medically, you know, medical therapies induced uh, pneumonitis. And I know that particularly today with immunotherapy, uh, it is a risk that we run with immunotherapy. Yes, I think that uh, one of the uh, one of the miracles, really, of uh, oncology in the last decade have been the in introduction in a variety of diseases of uh, immunotherapies uh, in melanoma and lung cancer, for example. These have been truly revolutionary in allowing patients with metastatic disease to live five years or more or even be cured uh, where previously we really had no opportunity for that. In mesothelioma, we now, for the first time, have an approved immunotherapy combination uh, for treatment of mesothelioma, and we hope to have additional uh, immunotherapies, either as monotherapy uh, in second line or potentially in combination with chemotherapy in front line, approved in the course of the next year, maybe even in the next several months. Uh, and we have many patients who are currently on clinical trials of a variety of immunotherapies. The issue with immunotherapy uh, whether in combination with chemotherapy or on its own, is that um, it can unleash uh, immune responses against a variety of tissues in the body, not just the tissues of the cancer. Uh, mm -hmm. And when you're treating a, uh, a cancer of the chest with immunotherapy, there can be what we call cross-reactivity, which is that there may be proteins on the surface of the tumor cells uh, that you want to stimulate the body's white blood cells to react against, to kill the tumor cells and uh, prevent metastatic disease in the future or treat metastatic disease. But those proteins could be shared with normal cells in the lung. And so you may see cross-reactivity where, yes, you've stimulated an immune response against the cancer, which is a good thing, but simultaneously you've stimulated an immune response against the lung, the air passages, the small air sacs in the lung, and that's where the pneumonitis comes from. This is what we think happens in radiation therapy to the chest. Uh, this is why you might see inflammation outside of where the radiation portal is, because you're developing these immune responses to normal lung antigens, these proteins on the surface, uh, which cause inflammation wherever those proteins are seen, which can be elsewhere in the body. The same thing happens with immunotherapy, and as exciting as it is, in my opinion, to have a combination immunotherapy approved for mesothelioma, we know from experience in other tumor types that the this, this same combination comes at a very high cost of immune-related adverse events, most notably pneumonitis, this inflammation of the lung mm -hmm. that we talked about. Uh, and this is seen much more in combination immunotherapy than in single immunotherapy, mm -hmm. and much more with uh, combination or single immunotherapy that involves what are called anti-CTLA-4 monoclonal antibodies, a specific type of immune checkpoint inhibitors, 
that cause pneumonitis at a very high rate. They also cause inflammation of other parts of the body, including inflammation of the colon called colitis. Uh, and although there are a lot of serious immune-related adverse events, the ones that are most life-threatening uh, are pneumonitis and colitis. Uh, and so they're the ones that uh, oncologists uh, have to watch very carefully for as they're treating patients uh, with immunotherapy, especially combination immunotherapy. Now, um, in patients who've had radiation therapy in the past and perhaps didn't develop pneumonitis at that time, is there a synergy between immunotherapy and past uh, radiotherapy that might contribute even more to uh, pneumonitis? Yes, we're seeing what we call recall pneumonitis, which is maybe a misnomer because a recall pneumonitis suggests that you may have had pneumonitis before, it got better, went away, and then you get immunotherapy and you now see it again. The way I think about it is recall pneumonitis may be inflammation of the lung, primarily in the area that's been radiated before um, when immunotherapy is given, even if pneumonitis was not seen previously. Uh, and again, it has to do with how radiation works, how radiation kills tumor cells, that some normal cells may die too. And in the process of dying, they may expose proteins on their surface to the immune system that otherwise were hidden from the immune system. And that these immune responses may well be quiescent until they're elevated by the immunotherapy. And now we're seeing this immune reaction that may have been generated by the radiation, but really not manifest until we've unleashed the immune system. Again, remember what immunotherapy is. Um, it often is not uh, a stimulation of the immune system, rather by taking the breaks off the immune system. So we have breaks on our immune system for good reason. We have these breaks to prevent us from having autoimmune diseases, diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Um, where the breaks of the immune system are not functional. So we need to have these breaks. Uh, so um, you can think of checkpoint inhibitors, these immunotherapies, as taking your foot off of the brake of a vehicle rather than putting your foot on the accelerator. But that's also dangerous because when you unleash, you take your foot off the brake, there may also be breaks on having abnormal immune responses against normal tissues in the body. And that it's likely what's happening in pneumonitis is that we are now unleashing uh, abnormal immune responses against normal tissues, and now we have to treat that uh, to prevent further mm -hmm. damage to the lungs, to the organs, other organs of the body. So, you know, with, with mesothelioma being such a rare disease and, um, you know, this new, uh, this new approval, I think we probably have to look at lung cancer to think of some of these uh, some of the questions. So I guess my question would be, um, you know, we do know that there is a good percentage of patients now who are developing pneumonitis. Going forward with clinical trials, are we thinking about these particular groups of patients and the types of treatments we can offer them following a resolution of this, uh, of this pneumonitis? Because I'm concerned right. that so many patients are seeking treatments, and I don't know that we have good answers yet but we may have them in some of our sort of sister diseases. Well, let me just take a couple of, uh, make a couple of points here real quickly. One is that pneumonitis is a problem uh, for most cancers that are being treated with immunotherapy, but it's especially a problem for cancers that involve the chest. 
because patients will have compromised lung function, compromised chest wall function, um, so that they may be short of breath or have limited lung capacity or both going into starting therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is different from say a patient with melanoma, a skin cancer that may have no involvement in the chest and has normal lung function. Pneumonitis can be a problem for them, but they had normal lung function going in. So for a patient mm -hmm. with mesothelioma who comes in with shortness of breath related to tumor on the pleural surface, pleural effusion, gets treated with immunotherapy, they're going to be especially susceptible to the effects of pneumonitis related to immunotherapy. So I think that's first important, we have to understand that mesothelioma, and I would include lung cancer uh, in that group of thoracic cancers, mm -hmm. is a unique subgroup in which we worry about pneumonitis specifically. And then in mesothelioma, we have some patients who undergo pneumonectomy, removal of an entire lung. Uh, again, this puts them in a unique category where, where they may have only one residual lung, and that lung may be otherwise normally functional. But if you only have one lung and you develop pneumonitis in that lung, well, Dale, you're in very big trouble. And recognition mm -hmm. and treatment in an expedited fashion is exceedingly important. And then we get to the question that you bring up, Mary, which is, okay, what do we do? These, some of these treatments of immunotherapies, like the combination immunotherapy that's been recently approved in mesothelioma, can be really revolutionary for subgroups of patients. Not for everyone, but for subgroups. So let's say, for example, you have an advanced mesothelioma, you get started in immunotherapy, and your tumor starts to melt away. It's like a miracle. It's wonderful. It's, it's what everyone is hoping for, the, the patients, the family, the oncologists. But then pneumonitis comes in, and the patient now is short of breath, and they're coughing, and they're on oxygen, and you need to treat with prednisone therapy to make the pneumonitis better. Now you're faced with a dilemma because you've had to hold the immunotherapy during the treatment for the pneumonitis, and you've made the pneumonitis better, do you restart the immunotherapy? A treatment that may have helped a patient substantially. What we do know is that there are significant risks of re-challenging patients with immunotherapy who've had significant immune-related adverse events, especially pneumonitis. And so for mm -hmm. a patient with mesothelioma who may have had pneumonitis that's been significantly impairing to their quality of life or even potentially life-threatening. I think, unfortunately, this is where the pulmonologist has to step in and say, I'm sorry, I know this therapy has been very effective, but I don't think that it is worth the risk of reintroducing, restarting the therapy once the pneumonitis has been treated. And that's a very difficult discussion uh, with the oncologist and with the patient and with the family for someone who may have had a significant benefit from the treatment. Mm -hmm. So I guess this really leads to um, the need for, you know, even though immunotherapy has been a godsend for many patients, that we do need to continue alongside of it, developing better, smarter, targeted, you know, oncology products uh, for those patients who perhaps now will be in need of something else following, you know, this development of pneumonitis. So. Um, you know, we have gemcitabine and we have navalbine. Um, what do you think about the, either of those two drugs uh, in patients who've already had pneumonitis? Well, gemcitabine worries me because gemcitabine is one right. of the chemotherapy mm -hmm. agents that is associated on its own without combinations with immunotherapy as causing pneumonitis. 
Uh, before we mm -hmm. had immunotherapy, I was treating gemcitabine-related pulmonary toxicity. Uh, Navel bean, um, not so much in terms of causing pulmonary toxicity, more bone marrow toxicity mm -hmm. in my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, again, uh, you weigh the efficacy of the drug from what we know mm -hmm. uh, versus the potential risks of causing pneumonitis in patients with mesothelioma. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so, the, and then you even think about whether if a patient's been on dual immunotherapy, dual checkpoint inhibitor therapy, develops pneumonitis, do you rechallenge with one immunotherapy agent? I told you that um, it, it often is the anti-CTLA-4 antibody that is the culprit mm -hmm. here. Uh, and so you think about whether you would rechallenge just with the anti-PD-1 or PDL one monoclonal antibody in a patient who's recovered from pneumonitis. So there are lots of considerations. We don't have a lot of answers yet. I will also say mm -hmm. on the pulmonary medicine side, we are trying to learn uh, whether we could predict who those patients are who will get pneumonitis and mm -hmm. learning and there are ways that we are figuring out that there may be predispositions radiation mm -hmm. therapy is one of them that you mentioned but there may be other inherent um characteristics maybe prior pneumonia maybe prior history mm -hmm. of autoimmune disease maybe there's a family history of rheumatoid arthritis and lupus in the family or a personal history of psoriasis or, or lupus. Um, there may be the characteristics of the lung that we can discern up front before starting on immunotherapy that can tell us who's going to be at high risk for pneumonitis. And we're learning that, for example, the characteristics of the, uh, of the bacteria that may be resident in the lung, the so-called microbiome, may play a major role. And even the gut microbiome, even though it's far mm -hmm. away from the lung, may play a major role in who develops pneumonitis or who responds to immunotherapy or potentially both. So we have a lot to learn about how, for example, the normal organisms that live in our lung and live in our gut, even potentially in other areas like in our nasal passages in our mouth, um, interact with the medications that we give to cause both benefit as well as side effects from these medications. Thank you. Um, Dr. Sturman, this has been extremely helpful. Um, helpful to myself who speaks to so many patients and certainly going to be very helpful to those who will be listening in on this, uh, on this uh, really important discussion. So I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I think you've given us a tremendous amount of information about pneumonitis and how it's um, diagnosed, treated, um, some of the things that clinicians need to uh, think about in terms of future treatments for patients. And um, is there anything else that we, we didn't discuss that we should? Obviously, we're, we're developing new therapies for pneumonitis, which we hope will be less mm -hmm. toxic than high doses of corticosteroids. For right now, we mm -hmm. use them for patients who are refractory to steroids, um, but mm -hmm. we're hoping to have better therapies that are less toxic and even potentially may allow us to restart immunotherapy in the future while treating patients for this. So we have a lot to do on the treatment of pneumonitis side, as well as on the treatment for cancer side. Well, thank you very much, and uh, I really appreciate you having taken the time to spend with us today. Um, and again, thank you on behalf of all of the patients that you're treating with mesothelioma, as well as all the COVID-19-related uh, uh, cases. Uh, you've done a fabulous job, and you put a lot of time, effort, and energy into everything that you do. So thank you, Dr. Sturman. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Bye.